Hey everybody, welcome to episode 78 of For the Love of Guns. My name is Jason Schaller and I am the head banshee here at Team Banch. And today we have an important subject with an awesome guest. We're going to talk about the trifecta of social gun control. Now what's the trifecta? It's controlling the speech, controlling the shipments, and controlling the money. Now my guest is the one and only Austin Knudsen. He is the Attorney General for the state of Montana. Now for those of you who follow the channel, know that I had a video taken down back in February and Austin's team wrote one just absolutely amazing letter to YouTube demanding that video go back. And also, stop censoring speech. Now, before we talk to Austin, it's time to pay the bills. And this episode is brought to you by Falco Holsters. If you're in the market for a leather holster, you're going to want to check out Falco because these are handmade by human. You're going to get them in about 10 days and they're made to your specifications. So if you want to change some things up on this holster, no problem. In about 10 days, you're going to get it. Just remember, any gun for every budget without compromising quality. Use the checkout code Banshee for 10% off your purchase at Falco Holsters. Now with the bills paid, let's get on with the show. But before we talk to Austin, there's one thing I do need to let you know. Nothing in this podcast can be considered as legal advice. If you have a legal problem, please make sure you hire a lawyer to deal with that for you. If you're going to engage with your attorney general for whatever state that you're from, awesome, follow that. But Austin is the attorney general for the state of Montana and he knows our laws. He may not know yours and he is definitely not giving advice. Now let's talk to Austin. Austin, tell me about your love of guns. Sure, I'm Austin Knudsen. I'm the Montana State Attorney General. Now Austin, you've had a really a long career in politics. You were a state representative for four terms, correct? I was, yeah, here in, here in Montana out of, uh, out of northeastern Montana, which is where I'm North from. Eastern. And then, um, and then you went back and became the, uh, the, the prosecutor for Roosevelt County. Correct. Yeah. And then, county attorney. And now you're back in Helena as our, our attorney general. So I, if they, if they would let me stay in Roosevelt County to be the attorney general, I would have done that. But unfortunately that requires me to be here in Helena. So what, what made you run for attorney general? Um, you know, really, it was the crime problem. I So uh, Roosevelt County, like I said, that's where I'm from. Uh, very, very rural, but kind of an interesting place. It's 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 got a large portion of the Fort Peck Indian Reservation, and it's also sandwiched right next to the, the Bakken oil fields in North Dakota. And we were really dealing with a major methamphetamine uh, and just related crime problem for, for several years. And I just really didn't think anybody was talking about it. Nobody was really dealing with it uh, on the state level. Um, it, it was kind of a hear no evil, speak no evil sort of situation. And I, I, frankly, I was just upset about the whole thing. Um, none of the other candidates running had a background in criminal prosecution, uh, very little actual practice experience being a lawyer. Uh, and so that, that's kind of what did it. Um, several things had happened in our little itty bitty hometown and kind of that that pushed me into criminal prosecution, which I found out I really enjoyed. I, I had been a civil, just a small town civil lawyer before that and had never really done much criminal work. But I, I, I kind of found my calling, frankly. I, I really, really enjoyed criminal law. I, I enjoyed prosecuting. You, you, you see some bad things, you, you deal with some bad people. But I, I really, really enjoyed working with the police, my local sheriff's office. Um, and, and putting, putting bad people in prison is quite, uh, rewarding. So that's really what got me into it. Well, it's definitely a noble cause. 
I mean, your job is to protect the citizens of the state. And when you were a prosecutor in, in you know, Roosevelt County, you, you were protecting the citizens there. And, you know, back then we had the Bakken was really starting to start up. And I would imagine there was a lot of stuff kind of pouring over the border from North Dakota coming into Montana there. There was, uh, and, and like I say, the, with, with, the, with the Indian Reservation there, that just that, that kind of amplified everything that, that we already had some, some fairly significant legal issues and jurisdictional problems, you know, just between the state of Montana and, and, and any kind of reservation situation, there, there's some unique legal issues that just come around that. But yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of people moved up into Northwestern North Dakota for the oil fields. Um, some good people, but you know, like any kind of gold rush, it, it yeah. brought a lot of bad people too, and it brought a lot of problems. And it, it, it really kind of, I, I think that really is what introduced methamphetamine, large scale methamphetamine, kind of into that Northern Plains area. And then that, it didn't take long for that to spill over into Montana. And I mean, just with all things meth, when, when you're dealing with meth, you're dealing with people who are just not in their right minds and they commit a lot of crimes. They commit a lot of property crime, a lot of theft. A lot of lot of personal crime also. I mean, they just they'll they'll hurt anyone, steal from anyone, sell anything uh, to get more meth. And, and we were really dealing with that there in Roosevelt when I was there. Well, thank you so much for for taking that because that is a, a pretty big thing. And now you're kind of going from. I mean, you still have those things, but now you're kind of taking on a little bit of big tech lately as Attorney General. Um, you know, really how I got in touch with you was uh, contacting your office, which, by the way, contacting your office and talking to your office was absolutely amazing. Uh, something I was surprised at because I had hit every brick wall in government, um, at least federal, <laughs> that I did. And when I came to the state, it was amazing to talk to your people. And, and what I'm talking about for those in the audience is the YouTube takedown of one of my videos. Um, I mean, your office wrote, I mean, people are talking about this letter everywhere. Like, this is like how I feel. And the Montana State Attorney General just wrote how I felt to YouTube. Well, like, I, I, first of all, I'm glad to hear you had a good experience. What, what, getting customer service back in the government has been a big push of my administration. Uh, frankly, it's been missing here in Helena for a lot of years. That's not just got out of the Department of Justice. I, I know Governor Gianforte is make, making that push as well, but I, I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, I mean, yeah, look, for your situation, this was an easy one for me. I, I, I'm an unabashed gun guy. Um, I watch a lot of YouTube gun videos. I'm, I'm, guns are my hobby. I'm a, I'm a shooter. I'm a reloader. I'm a competitive shooter. I'm a collector. I'm a hunter. Um, I, I probably have a little bit of a gun problem, my wife would tell you. So... <laughs> I'm familiar with the situation with YouTube. I mean, I, I, I know what happened with, you know, military arms channel and, and, you know, a lot, a lot of those guys that got demonetized. And so I'm, I'm pretty keyed in on this issue. When we start seeing big tech cave to, to left-wing politicians out of DC um, who, you know, what, what upsets me about this whole thing is they're not able to get their agenda passed through the Congress. Uh, the, the president, uh, the, these left-wing senators, they know full well, that they can't get the law changed. Uh, so what do they try to do? They they run to their buddies in big tech and big corporations, exert a little pressure, and suddenly here, here we are in a situation where you know your content, which was not dangerous, which was not illegal in any way, shape, or form, suddenly gets gets targeted and taken down. Uh, and that's a problem. And that's you know, that was one of the things I had. I, I remember the day that that video got taken down. Um, you know, I logged in, looked at my analytics, and all of a sudden I was like, you know, all of a sudden all these views just disappeared from my account. I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. What happened? And then uh, I saw the video taken down, and I was like, oh, that's kind of odd. Um, and then I didn't find out till like, later that day that there was a letter from these five senators to YouTube to take the content down. And that's really, you know, at first I was like, oh, well, and then, you know, a day or so later is when I started going, wait, no, this, you know, it, if anything, at, at, at the low end, this was unethical. 
at the high end, it's censorship by, you know, by the government. And because the, these five senators used, you know, Senate letterhead to send that letter. They, they used, they abused the power of their office. Um, I mean, if they had done this as a private citizen, that'd be one thing, but they used their office. And, and yeah. that's where I kind of got the feeling that this is not really appropriate. Um, this is not appropriate for them to do. I mean, what's your thoughts a, a, about using an office like that to, to try to force this? Well, there's a couple of things there. I mean, first of all, I, th I think you're exactly right. I mean, five senators are still five U.S. citizens. Uh, they're, they're not exerting any authority here. There's, there's no legal authority here just because you're a senator. You know, that and $25 will get you on a Greyhound bus out of town. I, that, that's really how I feel about it. Um, again, what's, what is just so concerning to me is that, I mean, whether we like it or not, the internet and, and, and these, uh, these, some of these social media platforms and YouTube, they really have become the town square. This is how you communicate with the masses. This, this, this is our, our modern day form of the printing press. This is how you communicate with people. And so when you've got sitting members of the U.S. Senate, a very, very rabid small minority of them uh, that are able to move the needle like this and get this kind of censorship, because that's what this is. I mean, there's just, there's not a nice diplomatic way to say this. What YouTube did was they censored you and they've censored a lot of other gun content creators. Uh, and I, I think this is incredibly problematic. If you're gonna hold yourself out there as this you know, free to all open town square, then you'd better be that. You know, it's, it, it, it's one thing if these companies are holding them, themselves out you know, as not being that. I, I certainly believe in private property rights. I certainly believe in, in a company's right to associate with whomever they want to associate with. Uh, but when you hold yourself out there as this big open platform, and as I said, when you've really de facto become the town square from, by, by which you know, Americans get their information, that, that puts us in a different situation here. And I really think we are talking about censorship. And I mean, it seems kind of like, um, I don't see it seems, I, I like exactly where your letter went is that, you know, these five senators could not pass a law. Right. Because, I mean, they have to pass a law to 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 ban that type of activity. They couldn't do it. Um, they know that they can, you know, they have friends that have same political ideology as them. So they write a letter, um, you know, doing I mean, this is not something that they just decided to do. They did some research on this, found a bunch of content creators, wrote a letter which I'm sure went, I mean, the letter was dated, uh, I think the 14th, the 15th, the content came down. So obviously that went right to her inbox. I mean, that, that wasn't a letter that went into postal service or was FedEx to her. It went right or, or to her. Or likely didn't go to the legal department for, for a review. Right. I, I think you're right. right. I mean, it, it almost seems like there's a, there was a little bit of collusion before the letter came out because, I mean, that content came down like instantly. I, I, I think there absolutely is collusion here. And, and look, just in the last couple of days, we've seen this with, with, with the, the, the Twitter dump. I mean, we know yes. that a lot of the powerful Democrat lawmakers and, and lever pullers in Washington, D.C. have direct contact, co contact with a lot of these you know, top CEO or you know, similar situated people within these organizations. Uh, so I think you're right. I think this went straight to the top of YouTube. Uh, I, I, I don't think she probably batted an eye. Uh, she, she, yeah. she caved, she rolled over just like we've seen Twitter do, just like we've seen Facebook do. Uh, they, 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 maybe not roll over, but they certainly collude with because, you know, for the most part, these organizations, the, these businesses are, are, they're run by woke liberal people. They're mostly stationed in San Francisco or San Jose. Um, and, and this is the ideology that they share. This letter, like I said before, it's it got a lot of attention in the industry. Did you ever think that this letter would get this much press, at least you know, in the industry? No, uh, it's it's funny uh, because a couple of these letters, um, you know, we we did them 
and, and we did them because of the, it, it's the right thing to do. And, and you know, we're, we're going to continue on and, and take next steps if we need to. But um, for the first, for the first couple of days, it was pretty quiet. I mean, nobody really wanted to cover it. Nobody wanted to talk about these things. You know, we, we put out some press releases saying that we'd done it and it was largely crickets. And then I don't really know what happened, how, how the dam broke, but, uh, you know, all of a sudden we started getting some attention and, and doing, getting, getting some news spots and, and doing some other media. So it's good. I'm, I'm really glad that, that we're bringing some attention to this. It's, it's not about me getting on camera, but you know, I mean, frankly, it's about shining a light on what these companies are doing in, in choosing what content arbitrarily should be censored and what shouldn't. Uh, and I think that's, that's important. And, and it's it's so funny because you know I see the con uh, you know I see comments out there about these posts because you know I'm reading them too, and uh, you know and I hear people with comments of oh great it's another letter and I'm like no you don't understand it's not just another letter this is a letter that I mean it clearly states what happened and how a lot of people are getting frustrated and it's coming from you know. I'm a very big advocate for states' rights. You know, I, I think yeah. the government, you know, the federal government is there to support the states, not the other way around. And this is where, you know, the attorney general of the state of Montana took a position going, hey, look, this has got to stop. Yeah. You know, th this, this affected at least one of my citizens. Um, we need to, you know, we need to, we need to start turning this around. Um, you know, because it's really, you know, it, 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 I like to say it's kind of like the stoplight effect, right? If one person runs a, a, a stoplight, they'll get pulled over. But if you have like 30 people do it, the police can only pull one person over. So if you get a bunch of states to band together, um, really what happens at that point? I mean, you're, you're starting to get the states to go, hey, look, you need to pay attention to this. You need to, yeah. you know, and deal with this. And where I'm leading with this is um, is switching subjects slightly here to the credit card tracking of firearm purchases. You and 23 other attorney generals are concerned about this. Very concerned about it. I mean, here again, you have an industry that's been largely let loose to be autonomous and, and kind of kind of monopolize, you know, a handful of companies, this, this credit industry, uh, and somehow they've now taken it upon themselves to put on a halo and, and go after certain, certain industries that they deem not acceptable. That should be scary to everyone. I mean, because if it's guns today, what might it be tomorrow? And that really is the concern here. I mean, that's, it's, it's the slippery slope argument. If you start letting private, private business, especially private financial and banking businesses, right? Like their job, their job is to be neutral. As long as it's legal, their job is to facilitate commerce. Whether, whether, you're, whether you're buying groceries or whether you're buying a, a, a John Deere tractor to go farm with, they operate in the, the credit financial sector. When you start having those businesses start picking and choosing winners, we like this type of industry, we don't like this type of industry, that should be scary to every American. Uh, because if we start allowing that, yeah, it might be firearms today, what might it be tomorrow? Uh, you know, is it going to be certain types of food that we don't think you should be eating? Certain types of news we don't think you should be consuming? Oh, you bought a, you bought a subscription to the Wall Street Journal using your Visa card. Yeah, I, we think that makes you an extremist now because you're you're not getting our approved content. That's the slippery slope that this starts going down. So yeah, what we did is uh, um, the the ISO, which is an, an, an international body that you know largely we don't have any control over, but the ISO is is a international governing body for a lot of these credit card uh, companies, and they just decided on their own that they're going to start coding internally coding c-o-d-i-n-g coding firearms purchases that are done with a credit card well why it's so they can track them uh, they they don't do this kind of coding for a lot of other industries um, we're still doing a lot of investigating in this one because 
you know, we're, we're being told by, by Visa, by MasterCard, oh, this, this is a nothing burger, there's, you know, there's nothing here. We're, we're required to, to do coding for all kinds of different things. This is, there, there's nothing to be seen here. Well, if that, it, if that was the case, why are, why, are, why are hardcore liberal Democrats so excited about this? Yeah. yeah. That, that's the concerning part to me. Uh, me uh, and it's because they know this can be weaponized against gun owners. That, that's the concern. Yeah, because, I mean, there is no central database of firearm ownership in by the law. United States. It's, it's by, law. by law. Right. And this is really kind of a backdoor registry. I mean, they may not know exactly what you bought. They know that you bought something. At that point, when can it be weaponized during, uh, let's just say, you know, uh, the, the ATF comes to check your logbooks. And for those in the audio side, I'm using air quotes to check your logbooks um, and see what's, you know, see what's going on at that point. I mean, this, this could lead us into some very gray areas that I don't think really as a society we want to go down. Oh, I think that's very true. Um, what, what was really concerning to me about this one is when, when we started peeling back the layers on this onion, talking to Visa, talking to MasterCard, talking to some of the regulatory entities involved here, we found out that the big box stores, the, the big, big corporations, the Walmarts, they got themselves exempted from this. Okay, so what that means is that if you're Joe's gun shop in Hardin, Montana, and you're accepting Visa, MasterCard, those purchases for firearms get coded and they get tracked. But if you're Walmart and you're selling yes. firearms, which Walmart does, those don't get coded. So, I mean, if this really was so innocuous, why are we exempting out certain huge corporations from this kind of regulation? Uh, I mean, that, that really smells to me of collusion, smells to me of, of, of impropriety. Uh, but, but you're absolutely right. I mean, this is another backdoor way for, for woke interests to try to get some sort of a, a, a private gun registry that by law, they're not allowed to have. Uh, so very, very concerning here. Because, you know, I was in FFL for 10 years. I mean, I was in FFL when I created that video. Um, I know that when I started up, you know, when I started that business, I'm like, okay, let's go do some credit card processing. Just being a gun dealer and trying to process credit cards is hard. Companies wouldn't deal with you. Um, and then when you would find a credit card processing company that would deal with you, you're instantly high risk. Yeah. And, I, and I'm sitting there going, well, I'm an FFL. My job is to basically apply law to a firearm purchase. Why am I high risk? Because at any time I can be inspected without notice. Um, I mean, I went through fingerprinting and extensive background check. Um, why am I high risk? And then this, you know, I, I look at this and now you have this tracking code. I feel sorry for the small firearms companies out there because this very well, you know, may put them out of business. Oh, I think that's the intent here. Absolutely. I, 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 bottom line. FFLs and, and, and the firearms industry is probably the most regulated industry in the country. There probably are a few more, but I mean, let's just be honest, because you're exactly right. You can be inspected at any time. You got to come up with your logbooks. You got to show your inventory. I, I mean, this, we do not make it easy to be a gun dealer in America. No. I'm starting to hear reports now, and these are substantiated reports that my office is looking at through our Office of Consumer Protection. I mean, this, this is becoming death by a thousand cuts. I'm getting reports in Montana of firearms uh, stores, gun shop owners, firing range owners that are being denied property casualty insurance. Now, not liability. I'm talking just actual insurance on the brick and mortar, on, on my roof, on, you know, on my building, maybe on some inventory, on a warehouse. They're being just blanket denied property casualty insurance because they're in the firearms industry. There's no evidence of, of any kind of higher 
underwriting risk for that sort of uh, property casualty insurance. This is just purely political. Uh, it's, it's purely industry being pressured out of Washington, D.C. By, by woke liberal interests to try to put small firearms companies and, and, and dealers out of business. I think that's exactly what this is. It is literally a, a, a death by a thousand cuts situation. So I, I think this is absolutely a, a coordinated attack coming on FFL holders. It's funny. I didn't even think about uh, that the insurance. I mean, really, if you control how you spend the money and control how you can protect your business, you can control whether someone can do business or not. Access to credit, uh, access to financing, uh, you know, credit card ad administration and insurance, you're going to raise the bar for entry into that, into that industry pretty high uh, to where all you're going to have is, is, is large box stores that, that can afford that in their bottom line. I, I, I think that's absolutely what they're after here, trying to put the little firearms dealer out of business. It, 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 it's funny because it kind of sounds a little bit like the NFA to me, right? Because the NFA put a $200 tax stamp on a firearm. You know, this is going way, way back um, to make it too expensive to buy the firearm. Well, obviously, if an FFL has to come up with an excessive amount of money to, you know, process transactions, um, you know, ensure their business, they got to pass that along, right? So now it's, it, I mean, it's almost like a, a backdoor tax against someone buying a firearm. Well, it absolutely is. I mean, now you're, now your $450 Glock 19 is, you know, just got marked up to $600 because that dealer has got overhead to cover, you know, and you, and you can't blame that dealer, but that's what it amounts to. Yeah, you're right. Gosh, that's just, that's just kind of crazy um, to think about that. Uh, it's, I mean, I like to call it um, basically social gun control, right? Cause it's not gun control. It's social gun control because they're, coming around through the social aspect yeah. of it. Well, and, and, and that's what's so frustrating about this is that, I mean, I, I, I I've actually footnoted this in a few of these letters we've written, but I, I want to send these guys, all, all these, these Democrat senators, these five Democrat senators, I want to send them a link to the YouTube video of the old schoolhouse rock, I'm just a bill. This is how to make <laughs> law. If you want to change the law, get the votes and change the law but they know they can't do it. They don't have the stroke. They don't have enough votes. Uh, they, they, there's not enough support publicly to change these firearm laws, uh, but they, they still vilify it. And so what do they do? They, they go out with, with their friends in, in big business and big tech and, and they do it backdoor, just, just like you're talking about. And, and that's why, look, the, the good news is it's not just me. You've got, you've got a number of state attorneys general who are paying attention to this now uh, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to be the guy with my name on, on the letterhead, but I'm, I'm here to tell you, it's not just me. Um, we're paying attention to this stuff and we're, we're looking at what tools we have in our state toolbox to fight against the federal government doing stuff like this, to, to fight against businesses doing stuff like this. And the good news is that we do have some tools in the toolbox. Uh, we, we, we are going to have some, some ability to, to have some, some teeth behind this too. Uh, if, if we need to go there. And it's so funny. I, I'm glad you brought up the footnotes uh, because the letter that you sent to YouTube, uh, it's not just me that picked up on the schoolhouse rock. That is in the footnotes of that, that letter that, to YouTube. That might be the first time in legal history that schoolhouse rock has been included in a legal document footnote. Yeah. I mean, that is, um, and, and people picked up on that too. So, that tells you how much people are actually reading this stuff. Because you know, when, when I found out about the letter, uh, it was uh, uh, October 2nd was when you released it out. Uh, I got the notification that it was out and I read it. I'm like, okay, this is a great letter. And then I started looking at the footnotes and I, 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 I took that and just started going, oh my God, they put Schoolhouse Rock in a document. <laughs> um, I mean, that's just, it's funny. It, it's funny for multiple reasons, right? It's funny because, well, you know, I grew up back then, right? So I, I've seen, you know, I, I remember those videos. And then it's almost a kind of a, a dig on them, right? Well, it's the not almost time. a dig. I mean, it's absolutely a dig. It's, it's an intentional <laughs> dig. I mean, we, we, we had a lot of fun drafting that letter. 
Uh, I'll, I'll just put it to you that way. I mean, that there, there's some tongue in cheek, but there's also some, you know, some satire and frankly, some insult. Uh, the, if they're going to insult us and treat us like dolts, we're going to insult them and treat them like dolts. So that yeah. there, there definitely is some of that in this letter. So that is, I mean, that is, that is amazing. Um, and then, you know, it just, I see so many comments about that. It's just crazy. Um, the one thing I love about the letter that you sent to Visa, American Express, and uh, MasterCard is a quote in there. It says, as attorneys general, we have the privilege of protecting our citizens from corporate coordination that hurts consumers. We're also charged with ensuring that consumer data is not unlawfully gathered or used. That is why we have serious concerns about implementing this merchant category code. I mean, that is a pretty powerful statement there going, hey, we're watching and you may have to answer for some of, some of the stuff that's going on. If we get a complaint about um, data being misused or we discover evidence of data being misused, it, 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 could, it could go a, a lot deeper than a letter. I, that's certainly a shot across their bow, and that's what it was meant to be. Every state has their own consumer protection laws. Um, here in Montana, I'm in charge of the Montana Office of Consumer Protection. The, the Montana Unfair Trade Practices Act is actually the statute, uh, and, and it's a number of statutes in our Montana code that gives the attorney general the power, the, the power to investigate and possibly prosecute uh, certain offenses whether it's civilly, uh, probably civilly, um, but that really is the teeth that we have here. And, and it's not just Montana that has that. Most states have similar consumer protection laws. And that's where attorneys general all across the country are really looking, uh, you know, all, all of my colleagues, that that's probably our biggest stick that we're gonna use against these companies. You wanna come and do business in Montana, you'd better assure us that your data is secure, that you're not abusing our consumers, uh, that, that their information is not going to be used in an illegal manner. And if it is, you're going to be held to account for it. Now, that might not mean much to a giant conglomerate like Visa coming from little old Montana. But when you start adding in states like Florida, like Texas, like Alabama, uh, Ohio, a lot of my colleague states, that starts to add up. And that's going to have some real teeth to, to, to those companies' bottom lines. Uh, if they start having to, to defend lawsuits and possibly run the risk of not being able to do business in those states anymore, that, that's where I think we're going to get some accountability. Uh, and, and frankly, from, from, the, from the credit card side, from Visa and MasterCard, I will say they were very quick to respond. Uh, they, they were very quick to, to want to have a sit down and assure us that you know, this, this data is secure, that this wasn't something that they wanted. It was foisted upon them by the ISO. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I, I, you know, we're still investigating that. Uh, but consumer protection, I mean, that's, that's a job I take very seriously. That's some serious statutes that Montana has, and, and we're going to make sure that they're enforced. I mean, let me ask you this. I mean, yeah, you know, I'm a Montana citizen. We're just over a million people in a very, very large state. Um, is it almost insulting to a bank to come from Georgia or New York or Delaware or San Francisco to Montana to fight a lawsuit? Is it almost like an insult to them? I don't care. But look, I mean, that's that's real pressure. If if you if you're looking at the specter of, you know, the Montana Office of Attorney General filing a lawsuit in Lewis and Clark County against you know, one of these large corporations, yeah, that's expense to them. They're going to have to put their team on a plane, fly them to Helena or, or wherever we get the, the, these cases filed. Uh, that's a serious expense, and they're going to have to factor that in. Is, is, is the juice really worth the squeeze here? Uh, is, is incurring this kind of expense worth appeasing a handful of ultra-woke senators? Hopefully that, that, that that's a pretty easy business decision for them to make, um, but you know, we'll, we'll see where this goes. And if it's not, they're, they're going to pay for it. Yeah. I mean, ultimately this is, if they have to fight a lawsuit, it affects their bottom line, which that let's face it, that's what they're in business for, right? They're in right. business to make money. They're in business to make sure that they have a return on investment on their, from their investors. 
And if they start getting hit with this, they may have to start pushing back to their buddies in Washington and go, hey, we, we can't keep fighting this. You're, you, need to, you need to back off or find a different avenue. Yeah. Or, or change the law. Like I said, I mean, if, 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 yeah. if they want this rabid gun control, go get the votes and get it, get it through. Uh, they, they know they can't. And that, that's just, I, I, I know I keep repeating myself, but that's just the ultimate frustration here for me. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it because it's a lot of, it's a frustration of a lot of gun owners right now. Um, another frustration is um, you addressed on November 29th to UPS and FedEx. Um, talk to me a little bit about that because, I mean, I, I, honestly, I knew about UPS. Uh, the FedEx one, for some reason, flew right past me and I didn't pick up that FedEx picked up on that as, you know, did this as well. Yeah. Uh, talk, talk to me a little bit about this one. Well, so same thing. We, we started to get some reports from, from some FFLs, from some actual brick-and-mortar gun stores here in Montana. Um, so as you know, we can't just ship firearms in the mail, you know, mail order direct to consumer, right? If you're going to purchase a, a firearm, uh, especially going across state lines, it's going to go from one FFL to another FFL. And typically those carriers used are either FedEx or UPS. Highly regulated, uh, you know, you still have to, when, when you go pick up your gun from, from whoever it was shipped to, you got to go through the NICS, you got to do the 4473, all that stuff. Quietly, what has happened here is UPS and FedEx inexplicably at the same time, both came up with this new shipping policy for gun companies and, and, and for gun retailers. Used to be, if you were an FFL, maybe you're selling some rifles, maybe you're selling some parts, and maybe you're selling some merch. You know, you're selling t-shirts, you're selling, selling patches, hats, whatever the case may be. Joe Public gets on your website, maybe he orders a rifle, maybe he orders a, you know, a, a barrel, and maybe he orders a t-shirt. Well, previously, that FFL holder, that, that gun shop owner, could put all that into one FedEx package, one UPS package under one account and ship that. No longer the case. UPS and FedEx are now requiring gun shop owners to have three separate accounts. One for guns, which what's amazing about that is they want to know, they, I mean, they want the gun serial number. They want to know who it's going to. They're going to put that on the shipping label. I mean, just think about that. You're going to start actually identifying what's inside that box and, the, and put the serial number on the outside of that box. Uh, we've already got a problem with mail theft and with parcel theft. You're now going to advertise on the outside of a box that, hey, there's a gun in here and here's what kind of gun it is. That alone is concerning. But the fact that they're going to require these businesses to now carry three separate accounts, one for firearms, one for parts, and one for merchandise. We know what this is. There's only one reason that FedEx and UPS would do that, and that is that is to track firearm sales. They want to know what you're selling and who you're selling them to. Well, who would want that information? Who is that valuable to? Yeah. And 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 by UPS and FedEx's own admission in you know promulgating these policies and, and, and communicating with these gun shop owners, it's because they want to cooperate with law enforcement. I'm all for cooperating with law enforcement, but I'm also not for violating the Bill of Rights and violating federal law. This is another attempt for a backdoor gun registry. That's, that's all this is. That's all this is going to be used for. When the ATF shows up knocking on corporate headquarters for FedEx or for UPS and asks for a complete list of all these transactions, what do you think FedEx and UPS are going to do? They're going yeah. to give the ATF that information. That's what's scary here. Um, and that's why, so yeah, same thing. We, we, we sent out this letter, uh, basically just asking UPS a couple simple questions, asking FedEx a couple simple questions. Why did you two companies magically have this idea at the same time? Are you colluding? Or did this come from somewhere else? Is this someone else's idea? Is this a new ATF rule? Because what we've heard from a couple people within UPS and FedEx is that, oh, we don't have any choice on this. We have to do this. ATF is telling us we have to. 
Well, what does that mean, ATF? Did you promulgate a new rule and not go through proper notice and comment? Because that yeah. would be a violation of the Administrative Procedures Act. So we got a lot of questions here that we're seeking some information right now. Um, haven't gotten anything back yet, but we've certainly we've certainly generated some buzz. We're certainly getting some headlines about this one, and uh, we'll we'll see what FedEx and UPS have to say. Yeah, because I mean, it can go even deeper than uh, federal. I mean, it could go down to a state level. There are certain states who do not like guns or parts shipped into their states. Uh, we're not going to name any, but I'm sure that we can come up with at least three off the top of our heads. Um, and they're going after the people who are selling the parts and, and suing them, knowing that it's really kind of a violation, but that small dealer down there can't afford to fight the lawsuit, so they have to turn over the records. Uh, I mean, there's there so many avenues that this can be misused. It's, it's scary. And you know, when you talk about collusion, did FedEx and UPS collude? It's, it, to me, it seems like almost like two gas stations on the corner of an intersection. One raises rates, the other one's going to raise rate, right? Um, you know, or worse, gas yet. worse yet, the owners of those two gas stations got in the smoke-filled room and decided what the price of gas is going to be. Exactly, exactly. That, so that, that, I think that's more akin to what we might be dealing with here. Because, I mean, that's the whole thing of they're, they're, they're controlling it, right? So if you don't like UPS or FedEx, your only other option is to go postal service. And if you're shipping postal service, <laughs> basically you got to be an FFL. Yeah. Um, you have to be a licensed firearm dealer to ship a gun through postal service. And then, wow, if, if they decide to start collecting the exact same information, uh, it's you have nowhere to go to try to keep away from this yeah. secret database. Yeah, I mean, to me, I mean, here we are again. It's just, it's just, it's it's certain portions of the swamp government colluding with big corporations to try to make business really difficult to do for small gun shop owners. I mean, that 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 could be because that's who this is going to harm. Is this going to harm? You know, Dick's Sporting Goods is 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 this going to harm a, a big chain store? Probably minimally to, to their bottom line. But if you're talking about you know Range 406 here in Helena, you know a great little gun shop, uh, Capital Sports, you know go go down the list of, of your favorite gun shop in your hometown. That's probably owned by a mom and pop. It's just keep it's death by a thousand cuts. It's it's one more barrier to doing business in this country. And, and doing business with what is a legal, completely, uh, historically fine piece of commerce that just a, a handful of people have deemed bad. And again, I come back to my slippery slope argument. I mean, what what if the next thing is 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 beef? You know, we're 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 going to start cracking down on people buying and selling beef because we think it's bad for the environment. Therefore, we're going to use our levers in business. To make sure that you aren't buying and selling beef, that's that's the concern here. I mean, you, if if we start allowing this for one type of consumer good, where do you stop? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's funny that you as so you bring up the environment thing. I remember in uh, one of my podcasts, I was just joking around, going, you know, sooner or later, and this was we were talking about eighty percent firearms. I go sooner or later, they're going to say eighty percent firearms. Um, is going it, you know, harms the atmosphere, so therefore we need to ban. It. You know, sooner or later they're just going to find Don't something give else. Don't give them ideas. Don't give them ideas. I, I, I know, I know, I know. It's it, it's sad, but it you know it's you know they're eventually they're going to figure something out. Um, where I want to go with that is you know we have all this data that's being collected. Now uh, I'll switch gears slightly to healthcare. You know we have HIPAA to protect your private healthcare information. Is there maybe some a time to have something like HIPAA to protect firearm data? You know, it's it's a good idea. The 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 Federal Congress has acted and, and taken taken steps to you know to, to limit liability, the PLCCA, um, you know, which is now being challenged by all kinds of states, liberal states that are that are trying to skirt around that liability protection for firearms manufacturers. But I mean you bring up a good point and and data protection I mean, that's a hot, hot issue in Montana. 
our legislature is about to start here in about you know a month roughly, uh, and there's already all kinds of bill drafts and ideas being thrown around for for data protection. Uh, you know, making sure companies can't can't sell this data. Whatever you might think of that, this is becoming a larger and larger discussion. You know, and, and if that's happening in rural Montana, imagine it happening in a lot of these other larger yeah. states. You know, data protection is a hot issue. And, and you bring up a good point. I mean, that might be something that's worth talking to your federal delegation in Congress and Senate about protection of some of this data, uh, because this the, the 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 potential for misuse is definitely out there, and it's it's kind of a scary time. It is. I mean, this is totally um, it's scary. So you know, for my day job, I do cybersecurity for a day job. So you know, I start seeing these things. I I know a little more about the back end of what happens than the average person. I look at all this data collection going, this, this is scary. Uh, this, is, this is not going to end well. <laughs> no, and I, I, have, I have the same concerns. I mean, here at the Department of Justice, I mean, I, we oversee a tremendous amount of sensitive personal data, driver's license, social security numbers, criminal histories, we are, the, the Montana Department of Justice is constantly, constantly under cyber attack. We are constantly having foreign actors trying to, to hack into our system to get access to that data. And that's, you know, that's from a government standpoint. You start talking about private companies that are now holding on to large troves of this information. The, the possibility for misuse is definitely out there. And it's, 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 it's frightening. Yeah, it, it totally is, and I, 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 that's why that's why this is so important to talk about, right? I mean, right now we talked we talked about really three things, uh, and this is what I'm kind of you know lumping into one thing I call social gun control: control the information, control the purchase, and control the shipment. We've now controlled everything about a transaction that really doesn't need to be controlled. There's no controls that need to be around it. What can we do to, to, as a private citizen, what can we do to start fighting and pushing back about this stuff? Well, I think we're already seeing it. I mean, the, the, the best thing I can tell people is to get active. Let people know that you're concerned about this. Talk to your senator. You know, here in Montana, we've got a senator who really needs to hear about this. His name is John Tester. And, yeah. you know, he's up for re-election here in a couple years. And, you know, every couple years we get within an election... Senator Tester starts talking further and further to the right and start, starts talking more and more pro-gun. You got to look at his votes and you got to look at who he, who he aligns himself with. This is, this is a subject that Senator Tester needs some pressure put on him. He needs to be made uncomfortable and know, he needs to be let know that people in Montana are paying attention to what he's doing on this. Uh, and, you know, in, in other, other states as well. But I think that's the biggest thing. I, I, the, your elected officials need to know that you're paying attention to these issues, that they're very concerning to you at the state level, you know, your state legislators, your state elected officials, like, you know, like your attorney general, your governor, but probably more importantly, your federal delegation. You start talking about your, your, your members of Congress and your senators. They really need to hear from our industry. Um, I, it, it, it's a little frustrating to me that certain members of the industry uh, seem to be hoping this just goes away. Uh, and, and I've seen this in some other industries, but, you know, they start getting shot at, if you'll excuse the pun, and they, they, they want to put their head down. They, they want to hide in the foxhole and just hope the shooting stops. That's not going to work here. You know, and of course, I'm talking metaphorically. We have to do this civilly and, and through the legal process. But that, I think, is where we need to exert the most influence. Uh, this, this needs to be heard about, talked about, generated chatter about. And, I, and frankly, I, I think we're doing a good job of doing that here lately. And, and that's really important because, you know, if you think about it, if the, federal, if the federal government passes a law, the states only have so much that they can do to push back against the federal law. I mean, if it's unconstitutional, yes, there's lawsuits and everyone's going to sue for an unconstitutional thing. But if they pass a law, your, your rights get diminished. There's only so many things you can do. You know, if I go, okay, this happened, 
you know, I'm, you know, you're going to start hearing back to them. Sorry, there's only so much we can do. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you might want to start thinking, you know, take them to court, which of course. And and that's about the only. I mean, that really, that's about the only tool that I have as a state attorney general. If the Congress passes a law, or or if an agency in, in D.C. passes a rule that we think is unconstitutional, we really only have one option, and that's to sue. Uh, and and we do. We, we do that a lot. I mean, your, your state attorneys general are doing that all the time. But to your point, I mean, that really is about the only option that we have. Well, I know you have a busy day. We're kind of getting up against the time here. I just want to wrap up. There's something I do at the end. It's just a speed round. It's real simple. It's four this or that yeah. questions and one thinking question. It's just nice to kind of just relax. So real quick, 45 ACP or nine millimeter? <laughs> That's like making me pick between my children. I know. I, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask you a couple of times to choose, oh, man. choose your favorite I, kid. So I'm 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 probably going to have to say 45. I I've I've okay. I've transitioned to the nine. The nine's universal. I mean, we we're seeing more and more nine at the Montana Law Enforcement Academy. Most of your law enforcement agencies have switched over to it. I know the FBI statistics and, and, and the data is all there. It supports that. I shoot a nine. Uh, it's a great cartridge, but boy, if you if you really made me pick, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go with my 1911 and a, and a 45 ACP. There you go. All right. So another tough choice here. Two two three or three oh eight. Three oh eight. Uh huh. You, see, you're you're a man after my own heart. That, that's an easy one. I'm I'm an old Elmer Keith disciple. I'm always going to go bigger. Two two three is a great round for zapping prairie dogs. That's that's about it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so for hearing protection, would you rather earplugs or muffs? How about suppressor? That is an option, and you you would not be the first person to bring that up when I brought that question. So yeah. uh, I will I will allow suppressor. That is that is an awesome choice. I've always got earmuffs in my vehicle. I mean, just we're we're always shooting, so I've always got earmuffs around just because they're easy to throw on, throw off. Uh, but yep. you know, you're, when you're sitting out in a prairie dog town and it's hot out, it, you know, it's not the most fun to have earmuffs on all day. No, no, and it, it's funny you say that about the heat because that's one thing with my wife. She hates. Uh, you know, in the winter time, like right now, when I go out and do video stuff, I have beer muffs on because, well, you know, when yeah. it's degrees out, <laughs> yeah, you, want, you want a little protection there around your ears for the for the uh, frostbite. But yeah, and the, when it starts getting warm out, I definitely want the plugs to 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 reduce that you know that heat, and that's that's what drives my wife nuts about shooting. Is is yeah, that. we finally did some of the in ear molded. You know, we we bought the home kits and and did those. You know, that that was pretty painless and and th those work pretty well if, if you get them molded right get them in your ear canal good those those are a pretty good option it's funny i had a pair of those when i was you know i i said say I, i've been shooting for 40 years now um i had a pair of those when i was a kid and the, the only problem i had with them was well when you're 10 years old you grow <laughs> <laughs> and and they didn't they didn't last me long because i was growing so uh yeah I, I get it. Yeah. Um, let's see here. For an AR, would you rather buy an AR or build an AR? Build. 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 Definitely now, build. We're almost yeah. the same person here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's the great thing with the AR platform. I mean, it's almost infinitely customizable. You you can make it your own. Uh, you know, they're, they're it's kind of a Lego gun. You know, you know, like it is. Like, don't like the barrel? Swap it out. Don't like the handguard? Swap it out. You know, you you really can put your own your own stamp on the on the platform, and that that's pretty cool. So yeah, I, I think I would build. Now, you know, the great thing about it right now is there's some great manufacturers out there that turn out a fantastic AR product off the shelf. You know, my my first couple of ARs were kind of dogs. Uh, that the, the the triggers were terrible, and you know, it was the old A1 yeah. carry handle, and just not yeah. a lot of options. Uh, but now, I mean, there really are some great manufacturers. You know, Daniel Defense. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I, I love Marty Daniel's equipment. Um, yeah. LWRC that makes makes uh, some great stuff. I've I've got an LWRC rifle. That's that's a great piece of kit. But 
it, it's fun to be able to put your own together and, and it's very satisfying to do it right and, and have it function. And um, yeah, that's the way I'd go. Well, I mean, I don't think Eugene Stoner had any idea what he was designing when he came up with that. I mean, yes, he, uh, he had an idea. It fulfilled a need. But, I mean, it's like the 1911, right? The 1911 yeah. is a classic. Uh, it's over 100 years old, and there's really only, what, maybe four major design changes to that gun? Yep. The AR is, like, the same thing. Uh, it just it just keeps on going. I mean, it's like it's like an Energizer bunny, right? Well, and that's the market. You know, if talking to people in the industry, talking to NSSF, there's the, the, the new gun buyers are not going out and buying a Winchester model 70 and 30 out six. That's a very no. small market. Uh, for, <laughs> most of your new shooters are out there. They're buying an AR platform rifle. They're, they're buying a Glock nine millimeter. They're, they're buying it for, for self-protection. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a different market and, and we got to be cognizant of that. Yeah, Absolutely. And for the last question, it's going to be a thinking question. Of any historical firearm that has ever existed, you could pick one. What would it be? Oh, boy. Any historical firearm that's ever existed. A Colt Walker. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, I think a Colt Walker. Um I've been around some single action armies, been, been around some dragoons, you know, the 1851 navies, great designs. I'm a big Winchester guy. Um, I, I, I know my way around most of the Winchester models and I, I'm, I'm tempted to go back there, you know, to a Henry or, or to a Volcanic, but there's something about that first Colt revolver that's yeah. really cool. I, 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 think the, I think the Walker's where I'd have to go. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know you're a busy guy, um, and it, you have no idea what this means for me for you to wow. jump on the podcast and talk today. I'm happy to do it. That's, that's fun. I, frankly, it's more fun getting on talking about guns than it is all this political stuff. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you, you, were raised in, you were raised on a ranch. You're fifth-generation Montanan, correct? Yeah. So, I mean. You you know about truck guns probably more than just about anybody. My my granddad was a gunsmith. I mean, we we reloaded, we hunted. Uh, yeah, truck a truck gun is a thing for sure. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> Austin, thank you so much for joining me today. You bet. Happy to do it. I had a great time talking to Austin. He is the real deal. Now you all know I'm pretty hard on politicians because I set a very high bar. Honestly, I think Austin walks over it because he just takes everything to the next level. And dealing with his team, man, I'm telling you, they're, they're amazing. You, know, you just do not expect interactions with government to be that easy and that good. He's definitely surrounded himself with some of the most talented people here in the state and he holds them to a high level as well. Now, we do need to get involved. We need to make sure we are holding companies responsible for their actions. Do that by contacting everybody. Contact your representatives in Congress. Contact your state representatives. Contact your attorney generals. Honestly, that, the idea of contacting the Attorney General's office was not mine. It was given to me by Diana Muller. When she was on the podcast afterwards, we were talking a little bit about the situation with the YouTube video, and she goes, hey, you should, um, you should contact Austin over there. He's your state Attorney General, and he's doing a really good job. I mean, what's that tell you that Diana Mueller, who's a three-gun you know, three-time uh, three national champion three-gun and runs a DC project, she knows who the attorney general for the state of Montana is and knows his track record. So I very, very much thank her for that idea. And honestly, it took me, it took me a while to contact because I was like, man, here's yet another government agency or, 
you know, politician that I've got to deal with. And the track record on this has not been great. His team picked right up on it. I put that in and a week later, I had a phone call. I mean, I looked down at my phone and I was absolutely amazed that somebody from the state of Montana was calling me. And that was a great interaction. Awesome letter. And like, like we talked about the whole schoolhouse rock thing in, you know, the footnotes. Freaking hysterical. When I read that, I just laughed. So they got a great sense of humor, too. All poking the bear at the same time. So look, I have some great content for you. If you are on YouTube, just check out over here. Top video is going to be something YouTube thinks that you'll like. The bottom one is, well, catch up on all the episodes of For the Love of Guns. Thanks for listening. Hope you're staying safe out there. And I look forward to talking to you again soon.